Welcome to the show, everybody. Stay tuned for the end. If you want a little background on my life, I'm I'm in Boston at the moment and doing the Boston Comedy Festival this year. And uh, you may not know, I started comedy in Boston. And so, and, and Boston Comedy Festival was a kind of a big stepping stone for me early on in my career. And so, I thought I'd give you a little, uh, a little spiel at the end of the show, um, a, a, a brief little little story, uh, origin story, the oh-so-popular origin stories of uh, my early days um, in the in the Boston comedy scene and, and what it meant to me. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Stick around for that. And also, if you're listening to it, yeah, I've been plugging, plugging away the Head Talks shows, the psychedelic version of Stand Up Science, uh, coming up in December, but I, I have all sorts of shows coming up and uh, uh, with, with stand-up science and with uh, regular stand-up. Uh, I'm doing, like I said, the Boston Comedy Festival, a uh, chance to see both my, my Good Trip show and stand-up science in the Boston Comedy Festival. Then heading west, going to Buffalo, New York, Rochester, New York, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Then I, I'm swinging in. I'm doing some spots in Madison the, the night before Thanksgiving. That's not my show, just a showcase show at uh, State Street Comedy Club, a special night, night before Thanksgiving show my friend Kevin Bozeman runs. And then, uh, and then I'll, I'll be doing Menominee. Wisconsin, and, um, and then I'm doing stand-up science in Madison before Head Talk starts in Lincoln, Wichita, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and Austin. Those five shows, if you guys can help spread the word in any way that you can, it's going to be a really big tour next year. Then uh, heading to Glendale, Arizona for some regular stand-up, and then, uh, and then it's 2020 and, and starting to fill fill that in and not a lot of stuff posted on the site um just yet but a whole bunch of stuff in the works for um for the beginning of the year so uh so keep checking back for that and if you haven't haven't joined my email list that's the surest way to know when i'm going to be in your area and i don't send out newsletters or anything like that just if i'm in your area i look up I look up the zip code everywhere I'm going and, and send an email out to people based on the location. So you don't need to hear about when I'm doing shows in areas that you're not in or in, and get emails um, all the time from that. You'll only get an email from me when I'm in your area. So check that out and check out this episode and enjoy. Thank you, guys. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. Is that where we're at? Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say Oklahoma City, but that's... Oh, we're close enough. Close enough. Basically a suburb of Oklahoma City. Well, let's uh, yeah. let's get, give credit to where credit's due. Yeah. Norman wants their claim <laughs> yeah. to fame. Here I'm talking with the collections manager at the Sam Noble Museum at the University of Oklahoma. I'm talking with Melissa Sadir is joining me. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is uh, this is exciting. This is one of the wonderful things about 
having this podcast is uh, once in a while I get a really cool tour before doing the podcast. I get to see all of these awesome things. And so you gave me a tour of uh, Of our collection. So um, we are a natural history museum for the university. Um, And so we have an exhibit for um, people to come in. But we also have a lot of research here that goes on. And um, part of natural history research is having a collection where people basically um, use it as a repository for specimens. It's basically a library of dead things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, uh, that's that's libraries in general. That's true. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a bunch of things that dead people thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These are the the physical representations of those. Yeah. so, man, so we're going to be talking about spiders today. Um, but first, I just want to, because because you walked me through uh, a bunch of different stuff and we didn't, um, I, I got to learn more than just spiders. And there were some interesting things that um, that I wanted to share with the listeners as we first off we were walking around and maybe my favorite part was at the at the end are you guessing my favorite was there's a cockroach oh yes yeah on on the ground uh this is making we have to mention that i my department is the recent invertebrates department so i don't manage all the collections i manage recent invertebrates so anything without a backbone um mostly insects so uh, yeah, a cockroach just showed up. Just uh, your dead your work's already. coming to yeah. you. Just making your job <laughs> yep. easier. So, that, so then you got to show me how to pin it and yep. everything. And what was so fascinating? Well, a couple things. One, I thought it was a little hilarious that you were you were just like a little grossed out to touch it. Yeah, I this don't is like what cockroaches. You do I don't like cockroaches. It's something still, you work with spiders. Yeah, though, I work so with spiders. So. I I love all insects. Cockroaches, I am disturbed because they can actually run. So running is um, basically you have to have one foot or both feet off the ground at some point, and no other insect can really do that except for cockroaches. They can basically lift their legs up so they're walking on two, like running on two legs. I, I don't appreciate really? that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that is horrifying. It gives me nightmares. Huh. Yeah. But I mean, I can deal with cockroaches. I just don't like them. Okay. Yeah. See, it's already learning so yeah. much stuff. We're not even talking about your expertise. And you, you, the really fascinating thing to me was you were like, Oh, I wonder if it's still alive, which is what seemed to me like a clearly dead bug. Mm-hmm. And then I got to learn that bugs sometimes yeah. look dead and they are not. They are not. So insects are really resilient. I oh, mean, and I forgot to say now I also learned that I've been using bug wrong my whole life because to say bug, you're actually talking yeah, about a specific, about a specific so group of insects. That too. Yeah. So uh, cockroaches are technically not a bug. They are of an order called Blatodia. Bugs come from an order called Hemiptera, specifically a suborder called heteroptera so those are the true bugs so they're called true bugs because when you refer to it there's a lot of people call things bugs so the common name for them is true bugs to indicate to people that hey these are the real guys um and it comes from bed bugs so um bed bugs are in that group of uh insects so all those insects in that group are basically called bugs from there Hmm. 
Because they bug I, you. I guess I don't. Oh, I mean, wait, but didn't what came first though? The being bugged, like the yeah, that the is human true. experience yeah. of feeling annoyed, or a bug or, causing. Or, or, I don't or know the that. name of yeah. like that physical thing yeah. is a bug, and then it irritates you, and then you create the metaphor of. Um, being okay, a bug, a like like yeah. right now with this interview, I'm blowing the roof off of this plate. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a metaphor for that before. Roofs yeah. were a thing well, first, yeah. and then we had and then the we metaphor had the... for the human experience. I actually have no idea. If, I'm guessing the word bug, like to bother. I don't know. Huh. But that is, I mean, it's still strange to me that um, <laughs> that that was. That they're like, oh no, these are the these are bugs because they're the ones that irritate yeah. us. The other ones don't irritate. What well, no, because the they don't. Not all that group. That entire group, most of them are actually plant feeders. So um, they have what's called a proboscis, which is a basically their mouth parts come together to make this um, stabby thing. I mean, again, it's a proboscis, but <laughs> in order to describe it to people, it they basically use that to um, penetrate leaves and. Uh, trees and basically suck the juices out of those um, but a few of them have evolved uh, that feature into puncturing humans or other animals and drinking the blood instead um, so the kissing bug is known for that too and that is a true bug mm. as well so kissing bugs and bed bugs are two true bugs that uh, drink blood instead of the plants but most of them just eat plant fluid hmm. yeah yeah, you just like kind of melt them down and suck them up, yeah. right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually, it's just like so they just have this weird like biohazard stuff coming out of them, and then yeah. Well, actually, so um, they have evolved that feature from plant eating to blood eating by um, puncturing, and actually, there is a uh, moth that's a vampire moth because it sucks blood. From animals including humans um and that evolved from basically fruit eating moths because there are moths that eat fruit that also have this puncturing feature on there um they have a proboscis that punctures basically into fruit and to get through the membrane yeah eventually some moth is probably just like hey i can do that to flesh too <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then it did well and yeah. it reproduced and it reproduced yeah fascinating yeah um okay so I'm ha- you and I are like in a way where we like going off we're, on yeah, we, I'm we were talking so about the cockroach <laughs> because and you remember I'm yeah. pretty good at that too going <laughs> yeah. off in this whole web of um, ideas yeah. and then working like my that. way <laughs> back and please don't reward too many of my puns uh, or I'll just do more of them and that's no good for anybody um, but uh, but yeah we were talking about insects mm-hmm. Seeming like maybe they're dead to m- most humans' eyes. Yeah, but they are really resilient animals. I mean, people always say, again, cockroaches are probably going to be the last survivors of a nuclear apocalypse. Um, I think they can withstand a huge amount of radiation. Uh, but beetles are also super resilient. So I was telling um, Sean about... Shane. Shane. Sean. It's okay. Edit that out, please. (laughs) Do we have to? That was fun. I always screw up everyone's name on the show. Finally, a guest screws up up your name. Yeah. All right. Uh, So, Shane, I was telling Shane that um, we tend to 
when we're collecting insects, um, we will pin them yeah. once they're dead. And the way we kill them is sometimes freezing them. Uh, and sometimes I've had a beetle that has been frozen for two days and I pin it and it seems dead. And then a few days later it thaws and comes back to life and starts just rummaging around on that pin and it is awful and I feel bad for it. <laughs> but so it's really hard to kill some insects. Yeah. That is Cockroaches amazing. especially. That's why I was worried it was not dead because cockroaches are also super resilient. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Just coming back to life mm-hmm. from... That is crazy to me because freezing things usually, do they not have much water in their body or something? Because usually freezing things crystallizes Crystallizes. things and rips apart cells and, huh. I have no idea how they do it, to be honest. Yeah. Suckers. And then, and then it comes back to, so that, and then you go and you file it away. I just, and, yep. and then it comes back to life yep. and destroys all of your, yeah. all when of I, your work. When I took entomology um, in college, my first student collection was destroyed by a big beetle that came back to life and basically just crawled. It got like, it removed the pin from the foam and just started crawling everywhere and just knocking all my other insects off. Huh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if an entomologist doesn't mm-hmm. know if an insect is dead or not, what, <laughs> what hope is there for the rest of us? How do you... I mean, you, you squash it. How do you... <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Then, you know. Um, but how, how do you know if an insect is dead then? I just... I leave it in the freezer for a really long time. That's the only way. Just like, well, nothing <laughs> survives for there's, that long. I mean, there's other ways to kill them. Um, we use sometimes what are called kill jars. <laughs> which is basically just a um, jar with either a plaster, like plaster on the bottom or some paper towels, and you throw in um, ethyl acetate or cyanide. Some entomologists like to use cyanide. Uh, It's hard to come by nowadays, but they used to only use cyanide. Um, And you basically drop that in there to create fumes, and you lock the insects in there so that they basically die from the fumes. Hmm. Um, But that's also unreliable. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Man, I sure hope we get to talk about spiders at some point because I already have so many <laughs> unrelated things that I want to talk yeah. about. Because uh, you were already, because uh, you were also talking about uh, when uh, um, during the tour, uh, yeah, during the tour when when we're talking about uh, the collecting things and they they don't always come to you. Usually, yeah, you have to get out there in the field, and yep. you were explaining to me that um uh, that you want to be collecting adults yeah and there's there's a very specific time that- yeah with some species of insects um people who specialize in them there's times of year where you have to go out during a specific time frame um where they are out and about and reproductive uh because insects basically they um don't really have genitalia until they reach sexual maturity so they they molt a few times and there are spiders have what's called we're circling back to spiders um a subadult phase where um basically there's kind of genitalia but they're not fully mature until their last molt uh and sometimes males will wait for a subadult female to mature into uh they'll sit around and wait for them to become sexually mature ah. but yeah um we use genitalia sneaky in, strategy yeah oh there's a lot of st- sneaky strategies with spiders um but so they're just the creepy spider hanging outside yeah. the the high schools yeah. waiting, waiting waiting for, for graduation day. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Wait until they turn eighteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. 
And, and that is, I mean, it sort of makes sense. It seems, you know, we obviously are humans used to viewing mm-hmm. life through our lens and then tend to anthropomorphize. So all this behavior seems very strange yeah. to us. But as I think about it, yeah. Why would you want genitals until you're actually going yeah. to use them? Until That's the use perfect them. way to. Yeah. I mean, it, now it seems backwards that humans have genitals yeah. before pu- puberty. I mean, you. insects, most of them, they just, their larval stages where they're young is basically, I just need to eat. I need all this energy because I am eventually going to grow up. I'm going to have genitals and I'm going to just focus on mating. So most insects, not most, a lot of insects basically just spend their time feeding when they're larvae and then they use their adulthood just to reproduce some of them don't even eat yeah they're just like well i have genitals now i don't need to to reproduce i only have a year to live less than a year to live yeah so while they're going a year without eating no 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 no. so they spend most of their life as uh young okay and then basically um if they Oh, a year to live. You're saying, oh, yeah. I, th- I, I was mis- uh, misunderstanding yeah. is thinking a year to mate. But no, oh, no, no. You, you're only having like a, yeah. um, usually like what, a couple weeks yeah, or something a couple like weeks that to, for most to insects, mate. Yeah. So that's when you got to get out there yeah. and do the collecting. Yeah. Um, and that's when we go collecting. There's lots of ways we collect insects. Um, there's passive traps we set out. So basically we'll set out traps and insects will come to them. Um, a lot of them are like, and you, also you can specialize that based on what you're trying to look for. Um if I'm trying to find a ground-dwelling spider, like a wolf spider, I'll set out pitfall traps. Um, but there's also ways to collect um, other insects and stuff by, f- like, fly intercept traps. Uh, so we'll set out big traps for flying insects to basically... That's a, actually a fun uh, collecting method because you set out this basically a giant tent that has a bl- that's black and white. Um, cause that attracts insects, uh, and they will fly up to it, hit the wall basically, and then either crawl up or down and either way they crawl up or down. Insects tend to, um, move a certain way, depending on what, if they're like a butterfly, they might tend to crawl upwards and they'll make their way into a jar full of alcohol, uh, which ethanol, 70, 70 or 95% ethanol, um, where they just drown hmm. and yeah. So that's a that's a good way to kill them, actually. Now that I think about it, directly well, putting them into ethanol. Need the whole traps already, yeah. the death trap, and it's the collection yeah. trap, and it's yeah. And then so. we also run around with our nets and everything, collecting stuff. Well, why does the black? I, do they see in grayscale? Is that why? And, and no, that's the contrast of it, or I think it has to do with. Uh, well, I know that they're attracted to lights because they think it's the moon, essentially. Mm. So I think it has something to do with that. I think it's just the reflective nature of it. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. So that's why moths fly into yes, the light. That's why they fly into your light. They're just they're big dummies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sad. It, we don't we don't care about the bu- the bugs and insects so much when they go fly. Like I I was watching um one of the Planet Earth or uh, I think maybe the new one where turtles. They usually use the moon to go into the ocean once they hatch, but because of the city lights, they're going yeah, into they're the going city. city. It's this real yeah. sad situation. But moths are doing that same thing. No, no one sheds no a one tear cares. over the moths. Yeah, <laughs> I shed a tear. <laughs> but. Um, so, so you were originally um, 
just into insects generally and that's what you wanted to study and then you got very interested in spiders yeah so i mean i actually started off i went to college i started off at penn state um studying wildlife conservation essentially and Mm -hmm. i thought i was going to be working with cheetahs big cats that's what i wanted to work on and then uh i transferred over to the university of kansas and um took my first entomology class and bam, I fell in love with insects. And just because they are super fascinating. And then I took a class about spiders. And then they fascinated me even more. And then I couldn't get away from them, basically. Hmm. Yeah. I think it was mostly, again, I am very interested in sexual behavior in spiders. And so um, spiders have some of the craziest biological um, features of just how they sexually select and everything. I mean, they're known for cannibalism already. That's, and that's like one of the least craziest things to me. I mean, again, I don't see why cannibalism doesn't happen more out, out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, insects are just like, oh yeah, I yeah, can just eat it's my a neighbor. meal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. They, I mean, they're not that related. It'd be kind of like, honestly, it's more like us eating monkeys. Yeah. Right. Like we're related, but we're not the same. But sexual cannibalism, it is the same species. So it would be like eating your mate. Uh, Yeah, which is, uh, I guess I didn't realize that was as common in spiders is because I had heard about the... um, Australian redback? Yeah, Australian redback. And and we even talked about it on the show recently, but a lot of listeners are maybe just tuning mm-hmm. in for the first time and it's yeah. absolutely worth hearing yeah. the second time yeah. uh, even if you already know this so yeah. so the australian redback is related to uh the black widow and they only live in australia and the males will actually somersault essentially into the female's mouth for her to eat him as he mates with her too easy that was an Australian accent. You should have seen a- the disappointment <laughs> in your eyes when I tried. It almost scared was, me. <laughs> there was like a real debate going on in my head. Should I should I bust out the Australian accent? I thought better of it for many moments. Then I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. It's bold. It. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, and so then they've actually done studies. <laughs> now I just want to do it more. <laughs> do you know how to do a Kiwi accent? Because I'm about to talk about the New Zealand's, but no. <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> um, all right, but go yeah, on. So they tried getting like, um, basically, <laughs> there's a related species in New Zealand that doesn't do the sexual cannibalism as frequently. Like, uh, And so they actually had the males try to mate with those females. And the male would like, jump into her mouth and she just like would reject him and be like, no, I don't want to eat you. Why are you trying to jump into my mouth? So Mm. it's like very specific to their courtship that the male commits basically suicide in order to. Oh, well that's strange. I mean, not the other, I guess I already knew the other aspects of it, but that she would, why wouldn't she? Oh, because if she's eating him, he has a chance. He has a chance to copulate. So So she, she can't just eat him without, him yeah getting in there. yeah okay. um so i guess it's important to say too so sperm transfer in spiders is not direct um so they actually create their sperm in their abdomen but they make um basically a web where they deposit their sperm and then they actually suck those up through their petty palps so petty palps are those little 
organs at the, they look like legs, but they're not near their mouths. Um, and males will have this large bulb on at the end of it where um, there's essentially a sucking mechanism where they can suck up their sperm from that web and then uh, inject it into a female. Mm. And Fantastic. so, yeah. And so they have a couple opportunities to do it. Um, the female has basically... <laughs> <laughs> so there's two i this mean instead is, I, of the instead of one organ to inject into a female <laughs> they have two because they have two petty palps right and they and they do don't they usually like uh, they, she eats like half of the guy and he he does that and then he has to like do another dance like half eaten or something like that sometimes yeah, i did not hear get, about that to get back i think I, I he has think to like just like, try to entice her one, some more yeah one side <laughs> and then like half yeah. eaten he has to do like another the other dance. side yeah I don't know. I, th- I think that's sometimes the case, but I didn't know that this that's somewhat of a um, common thing for mm-hmm. a lot of spiders. Yeah. Offer themselves as a nuptial gift. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, the, they'll offer themselves as suicide is kind of a way to get eaten or to mate. Um, it mostly happens in cases where finding a mate is difficult. And so you have no other option really other than to if you've come across a mate you're going to do everything you can in order to mate with her. I mean, they're essentially male spiders are once they reach a sexual adulthood, they are just out there to mate. Mm -hmm. Um, They hardly eat. They're just looking for a female. And so if they're spending a long time looking for a female and it's hard to find one, once you find one, you're going to do anything you can in order to mate with her. I mean, this is just the most romantic thing I've ever heard. I I wonder, I I want to hear spider songs in all of their lyrics that they're, Spiders do, I was telling you earlier, spiders kind of sing. Some spiders will actually sing to their mates by tapping mm-hmm. um, in order to entice the female or calm her down. It's not, I'm, I'm not really quite sure how it would work if they just like the song or maybe it just chills them out in order for the male to come up and mate with her. Um, but yeah, some spiders will dance or sing by tapping and those vibrations, a female can feel them and then... Uh, decide whether or not she's going to eat the male or mate with him. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, sexual cannibalism is very common in, in, in uh, spiders. Huh. Yeah. And then, because the way that you phrased some of the stuff that was interesting about how oftentimes what the male's trying to do is basically just distract the female yeah. in yeah. various ways. Yeah, it basically is. The male will distract the female Either with, so a nuptial gift too, they can also just be, so some spiders actually um, are super tricksy because um, they'll wrap up, so some, the good males will wrap up a cricket or something in some silk and give it to the female so she can eat that and he can mate with her. It usually gives him a little more time so they're more successful at reproduction. But some males are That's just why lazy. That's have this gift wrap yeah. on. He could just yeah. give her the cricket. No, he wraps it. Yeah. Yeah. The other guy just gives her gift wrap. He just, some spiders, they'll be super tricksy and because they don't want to waste their time finding a cricket or something, they will just roll a ball of silk and try to feed that to her. And in order mm. to quickly mate with her while she's distracted trying to eat this ball of silk. Or because uh, they sometimes put in just like other useless crap in there too that they'll just wrap. Yeah, up. they'll just wrap up and like a corpse or something that with no nutritional yeah. value or something. Yeah. So there are questions about whether it is just kind of ceremonial it, or if it seems to matter. But there is um, evidence that if there is an actual gift in there of food, it 
increases the success of the male's reproduction. So, well, I would think if she's actually getting nutrients right at that yeah. time, it would increase. Plus, she's probably yeah. like actually taking her time to eat it, so he has more time to inject more sperm. Yeah. Um, which is how males uh, are more successful in spiders. Basically, if, if the longer they can have to mate, the more sperm they can get in there. Yeah. Whereas if you know you gave her the cubic zirconium, then you you might want to get out of dodge before <laughs> she, before, she, before yeah. she finds out <laughs> before she finds out and i'm sure she finds out pretty quick yeah right. she starts drinking in there's nothing in there yeah huh well now i'm now i'm off in my head thinking about the evolution of presence generally and yeah. why do we present them in the way uh, humans do that too. we do i mean we yeah. don't think about it but we do the same thing a male will bring a female or feed her you know <laughs> yeah bring, take a girl to dinner that's a common thing yeah of course i and mean then, but the packages that's interesting mm-hmm. that it, that it's like it's wrapped up because it, because it, if if someone gives me a gift like it's in a package, I'm like, oh, okay. you know, like, yeah. okay, I'll take this wrapping off now. Like, it doesn't do a whole lot yeah. <laughs> for me. But if I give a female a gift that isn't wrapped, mm-hmm. that's like, why didn't you wrap it? That's yeah. a whole part of the thing. <laughs> and there, but it's it's interesting because that triggers this, some sort of anticip- uh, anticipatory yeah, mechanism. Uh, uh, like, ooh, this might what, be. What could it be? Some- it could be delicious. <laughs> yeah. Huh. But imagine you just give a girl. A box that's wrapped with nothing in it. That's right, but that's such a... Of course she's going to eat you. But that is such <laughs> a trade-off of even if... It, I, I mean, there, there's a there's a real gamble in there. If, you, if you're presenting a gift, even if it's, say, something that was very costly mm-hmm. for you, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that the person getting it is going to, to want mm-hmm. or accept or you know it might it, you know i might uh i i might have gotten uh get a lady like a really fancy tea maker mm-hmm. she doesn't drink tea i actually just wanted the you just tea wanted maker. the tea maker yeah, yeah yeah so it's like what the hell and, and so you're, you're taking taking a little chance there um so it seems like there's also downsides to having the get like there's inherent you like use energy to deception yeah within. Huh. so i mean it's a cost like in anything in evolutionary biology it's a cost benefit um mm. the cost of you know going out there and hunting that insect to feed her gives you the benefit of a few more seconds to mate with her before she probably gets angry and realizes you're doing it well now i'm also wondering because these so they're wrapping things in silk but i thought that Maybe I'm misremembering. You were telling me that often the males don't make webs, right? Yeah. Just the females do? Yeah. So so actually, that brings up a good point about spiders too. Spider silk. Um, There's different types of silk. So spiders are actually, they have, hold on, I have here notes of it, eight types of silk glands uh, that they use for different reasons. Um, They basically use silk for communication. They use it for uh, huntings, of course. Communication. The the tapping on the... No, actually. So they use what's called dragline silk. So as spiders are walking around, you'll notice they're just dragging silk behind them. It's Um, just breadcrumbs. Basically. Breadcrumbs so that other spiders can basically taste it and uh, be able to tell there was someone there or if it was a female. Um, So they use it in communication Mm. as well. Um, they use it for hunting. So your classic big orb webs or, um, tangle webs that 
they make to, in order to catch insects. Um, they also use it for egg sacs, basically, and also for that um, sperm uh, p- packet that they make. I see. Um, so every male is probably going to have silk f- if yeah. for no other reason yeah. to wrap his sperm up. Yeah. So even um, the roaming spiders, so uh, things like crab spiders and everything, with that they don't really make a big web. They just kind of sit there and wait for their uh, prey to come to them. Hmm. Um, they don't actually use any silk in their prey capture. They just sit there and wait for their prey, but they still create silk because they're still using it for other reasons like dragline silk and um, dispersal as well. So spiders do this cool thing called ballooning um, in order to, because if you're a spider, you're small, you're trying to move it's from one place to another to find food, a mate. It's going to be difficult to get far. So um, what spiders can do is they make a long string of silk and they basically wait for a really good wind to hit. And then the wind will basically carry them away on this line of silk. Mm. And so um, basically young spiders do that a lot to get away from their nest that they came from uh, in order to go find food. Because there's going to be a lot of competition near there. Um, but uh, some will do it in order to uh, find mates or a new location. Hmm. Hmm. So that's because I was going to ask you, but now it's starting to make a little more sense how this happened. I was thinking about the evolution of web making because you were you were telling me that that's not how spiders originated. They they started as like yeah, so, larger. Yeah. So your more primitive spiders are going to be kind of like your tarantulas, your purse web spiders. They they use silk um, in basically creating tunnels. And um, what do you mean? So tarantulas, if you've ever seen one, they create like a silk tunnel underground. <laughs> yeah. <Huh. laughs> yeah. So uh, trapdoor spiders too, if you've ever heard of them, they Why? create. Because that's their shelter, basically. So they can use silk for shelter too. That's where they basically hide. And they also set out like little. Um, but basic- I don't, what's, what's the silk doing? It's the silk like- is holding the, the um, burrow together. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty solid structure in there for them. I see. Um, purse web spiders, they even like build silk structures up trees and stuff like that to retreat into. Hmm. Um, it's basically where they go to hide. Uh, but they can also use it in hunting like trap trapdoor spiders. They will build basically a little silk burrow and then a little silk trapdoor with um, leaves and everything camouflaging it. And then they will also set out basically lines of silk that will alarm them if there's an insect walking around. And then as soon as the insect walks on the door or near the door, they open the trap door, grab the insect, bring it back in. Those are pretty big spiders. They can also eat like small vertebrates like geckos and mice and stuff. Um, that's what they're kind of known for. But yeah, they use silk mostly for that. And then eventually um, spiders started building more complex webs using their silk for um, other other things um, like the big orb webs that we know. And that kind of created this boom in speciation. So those more primitive ones are called mygalomorphs. And um, they're not as successful as those araniomorphs that not all of them build orb webs, but that was a big moment of um, a, spe- a speciation boom is when they started to create this big orb web. It was like, hey, I'm just going to sit here and wait for the insects to come to me. I don't have to go prowling around and finding them. 
and spending all my energy doing that. Yeah, you just sit around gobbling up food from yeah. your trap. Yeah. And so that's mostly the females yes. doing that. Yeah. Is, is it always? Uh, there's probably cases where it's not, but and there, no, there are males that do it, um, but mostly females because males are usually out roaming around looking for mates, but males also have to eat at some point too. So um, they'll also set out traps and stuff. So I've always... Or webs are only females. Okay. Yeah. I've always wondered when I, uh, you know, you walk through the web and oh God, now it's yeah. all in your face and everything. Everyone's had this experience, mm-hmm. but I, I've always thought, am I just destroying just a huge household and this Depends. person's having this great day and like raising this family and everything, and then and then you just my walk through big, it. Big dumb head just comes slamming through it and rips everything. Is that just? just ruining everything or are they up and running again in an hour again it depends on the spider those um araneas the orb weavers tend to rebuild their webs pretty frequently um there are species or families even that also create these orb webs but they're more complex types of not complex types of silk but they use a more durable silk and it creates it's a lot more energy to create them um, because they basically use a modified comb on their leg to use surface area to make it sticky instead of glue. Mm. And so the orb webs are really solid and those take a long time to build. Hmm. And so if you run into those, you're basically destroying their solid house. Now, and I um, probably about to embarrass myself. I don't know a thing about fishing, but I imagine fishermen know there's certain fish in certain season that are mm-hmm. somewhere near the bank, somewhere in this and that mm-hmm. and use different lures and whatnot. Um, is there, do do spiders make different webs in different areas, like getting ready for some insect to breed or something like that? Or well, yeah, that. How how are they figuring out where to build these webs? And then are and then are they? Um, and I guess where I'm going with that are they kind of like not putting all their eggs in one basket and building a few around. different. That depends on food resources, essentially. Um, so like orb weavers, if we're going to keep talking about them, they might move closer to where they're, um, if they're not successful in one location, they'll try to move and build a new one somewhere else. Um, but uh, they are usually specialized enough where they only build one type of web. So um, one species will create one type of web, even a family like Araneids almost exclusively build orb webs. There are modifications to it. Um, one in particular that, is really fascinating is the bolus spider. Um, that is an Araneid. So it's part of the orb weaver family, but they've basically evolved. They've reduced the orb web to one string with a glob of glue at the end that they use to like a bolus. Um, so they'll sit on a leaf and let the string down. They'll hang the string with a ball of glue at the end and they'll start releasing pheromones that mimic moths. Mm. And so um, the moths will start, the male moths will start coming to them thinking that they're mates and they'll start spinning that ball of glue until, and until they smack into a moth basically. And then they'll reel it up and eat it that way. But that's still an orb web technically, I guess. These poor stupid moths just bumping <laughs> Going into, into lights. Every, yeah. <laughs> they're so easily tricked. That's why I kind of tell people insects are bumbling fools. I, that's why I like spiders too. Cause they're just super smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have to, if they're looking to eat things that are, and a lot of spiders are eat other spiders too. So those spiders are usually even smarter because they have to trick smarter animals too. Spiders have an actual brain? Yeah. 
They do. They do. Because not every insect does. No. Right? So they have, um, they're a little bit different than insects, which have uh, basically, they have a centralized brain, but they also have little brains essentially on each segment of their body. Um, spiders have a centralized nervous system essentially mm -hmm. um, where they have an upper and lower part of their brain, but basically it's all just there. Uh, so yeah. they don't have multiple brains like insects do. Okay. Yeah. And hmm. so I guess you can have more intelligence if it's all centralized. And maybe not though. I don't for, know. for all the people terrified of spiders out mm -hmm. there, it seems like it's actually pretty unlikely uh, to fall victim to oh completely <laughs> i've i've been working with spiders for years now and i've never i've been bit once and that was my fault i i was basically manhandling the spider i deserved it yeah <laughs> like they are very unlikely to bite you they just want to get away from you mm -hmm. for the most part sometimes they don't even know that like what what they're walking on yeah so um a lot of spiders are blind they don't rely on um, visual cues because again if you have been sedentary on an orb web for millions of years i think the orb web evolved about 100 million years ago um you you're not really using your eyes you're more feeling for vibrations and that's what's important to your survival so uh eventually i guess you lose their, their eyesight because most orb weavers are completely blind um so all these trade-offs. Mm -hmm. You're. I mean, you're more sensitive to tactile. Deciding yeah. what to put energy yeah. into. So once you, you need you need the eyes to go out hunting for food, for sure. but then once you're once you're just stuck on a web, yeah. <laughs> getting fat, yeah. uh, let's just go blind yeah. and fat and hang out here. Hang out and, and eat the food the... come to us. Exactly. And so wandering spiders, like jumping spiders, and wolf spiders, have better vision. So they'll actually really use their eyes. Hmm. That is fascinating. And so, so, but if you, what you don't want to do, if you're, if you're going to sit and play with a black widow spider, mm -hmm. you don't want to, which we're not recommending. Wait, you I, don't no. want to, <laughs> this is not a recommendation to do that. <laughs> but, but you, you don't want to squeeze it. That's when the yeah. trouble, that's where. Yeah. And same thing with brown recluses. I mean, most people who get bit by them, it's when they're putting on clothes or shoes. And if you think about it, it's because when you're putting on the clothes, you're squeezing them onto your body. So, of course, they're scared and they're going to bite. Uh, it almost happened to me the other day. I was putting on my pants and, like, I just got a flash of brown. I was like, that's a brown recluse. So I slowly took my pants back off <laughs> and just let it go. Uh, you had spiders in your pants. Yeah, spiders in my pants. They're just coming to me. <laughs> like they all come to me. The cockroaches came to me. Spiders come to me. You're just a magnet yeah. for insects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you chose the right career path. Yeah. Maybe you got insect, maybe you got like spider pheromones all over you maybe. from working with them. Maybe they just like subconsciously me. made me want to work with them. I keep showing up in my life. I had a bad brown inclusive infestation in my house when I lived in Kansas. I guess I'm not even from, I've never heard of this spider before. Is it, is it brown a pretty, occlusive? yeah. Is it like a pretty It's a Midwestern thing. One? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of debate about that. I'm I, not I sure. I mean, if you squeeze it and it gets in not there. Even, I'm not even going to say it. So spiders can also dry bite. So a lot of spiders won't even invest venom into biting human beings because you're not. they're not trying to kill you. They're just trying to get away. Um, so brown Venom occluses, is costly. Venom is very costly. Exactly. So brown occluses, especially, they can, they can give dry bites too. Um, so you're already unlikely to get bit by them with venom and then 
I do know it's about 30% chance that you'll develop the symptoms, um, the necrotic symptoms that they... I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking about my Australian, Australian accent. <laughs> just popped into my head again out of nowhere. All right. So brown recluses are super Midwestern. So you'd have to like do a Midwestern accent for that one. Oh, I don't know if I got that, you know. <laughs> That's like upper Midwestern though. That's where I'm from. I know. Wisconsin. I know. No, they're not, you wouldn't find them in Wisconsin really. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's probably why you haven't heard of them. All right. Yeah, Oklahoma, they're abundant here. Hmm. But um, there is, a, so I actually took note of this. In 2001, there's a famous study where uh, this house in Kansas actually had a really bad brown recluse infestation. So professionals basically came and counted how many brown recluses were in the house. It was 2,000 brown recluses in this hmm. house with four people living in it. Hmm. None of them had ever gotten bitten. Uh, well, I so mean, there's a lot of hype about brown recluses, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. But the downside is, one interesting thing you're saying, when, when people come around and, and spray for... Because uh, you're you're uh, talking about they need like an exterminator or something like that around in the campus, or you needed to notify. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we need to call yeah, someone to department. keep those, yeah. those, the bugs out of our yeah. bug department. Yeah, and spraying, I mean... But but spiders are kind of immune to most sprays. Yeah, I mean the direct like spray will kill them, but you'll still get spiders in your house. Insects will die, and so if spiders eat those insects, they'll probably die too. But they can still wander around your house even hmm. if you spray. Okay. Yeah. So I've I accidentally fed one of my spiders a cockroach that I think had been sprayed, and she ended up dying. But oh, yeah, sad. they have to yeah. What, what do you got at, at home if, if people want to if you want to start a, spi- a they're spider they're so um there's really bad spider pets and not because they're aggressive because most spiders are really boring okay they'll just sit around and on their web and do nothing well if someone wants a spider collection what's what's mm-hmm. spider What's collecting good? 101 what do you get uh i i go for jumping spiders for the most part uh just because they're really fun to watch they um they use a lot of, like I was talking about before, they use visual cues in hunting. So um, they'll walk around, they'll watch the cricket or moth or whatever you give them. And then um, they're called saltissids and jumping spiders because they, they jump in, or, in order to basically hunt. So they'll like basically stalk the insect and then pounce on it. And it's super fun to watch. Um, and they won't really bite you or anything too. Uh, and they create these little sleeping sacks that I think are adorable. So they, they use silk to create those little sleeping sacks. So they'll prowl around during the day um, hunting stuff by just jumping on them and killing them. And then they'll retreat to a little silken sleeping bag. Hmm. Yeah. And spiders, have, I found out they're, they're more sprinters. They're not much in the endurance department. Nope. Uh, so spiders actually, so they have two body parts. Um, the front part with all the legs is a cephalothorax. And then they have an abdomen that has their heart. And connecting those two is this small pedestal that has one blood vessel that runs through it and spiders actually use hydraulics to move so they will basically that pedestal they will close it they'll have a muscle contraction to close that blood vessel and stop the flow of hemolymph which is basically spider blood um, into the front of the body and that puts pressure on the legs to move muscle legs to move forward and then they'll release basically to move the legs backwards so they have to be compressing that artery pretty frequently in order to run and it's exhausting so they can sprint far away and then they'll have to stop so hmm. and then you think it's dead and you pick and it then up you think and it's dead and you pick it up and it's alive <laughs> they also pretend to be dead huh yeah um why because it's, of predators yeah 
it's a defense mechanism. Hmm. What, what's scaring spiders out there? Oh, Everyone's no scared of spiders. What are spiders scared of? Probably like frogs and stuff. Frogs are Other eating spiders. spiders? Mm-hmm. Other spiders. Um, what about uh, what about some of the parasites out there? What's parasitizing? Oh, yeah. uh, I forgot. Spiders. I also showed you that. Um, so if you ever heard of tarantula hawks, they are not hawks at all. They are actually a type of wasp. Um, it comes from a family of wasp that basically specializes on hunting spiders. And a tarantula hawk, more specifically, specializes on tarantulas. Um, I... I know they can also just do other larger spiders, like wolf spiders can get pretty big. And um, they don't physically eat them themselves, but what they do is they will actually sting the spider in order to paralyze it. So that stinging paralyzes a spider, but it's still alive. And then the wasp will drag it into another, to its burrow and basically inject it with an egg that will hatch into a wasp larvae and the larvae will eat it alive. So spiders can also live a long time without food. So that's convenient for the tarantula hawks because they can keep that spider alive in there without feeding it or anything. It's just paralyzed in there, but it'll survive long enough for the larvae to eat it. And then they usually want more females, right? They want more female eggs. Yeah. So the tarantula hawk will only lay one egg per tarantula and a female is a greater investment. So she will actually inject the egg into the spider if she's going to lay a male egg, she lays it on the outside of the spider. It takes less of her time, less energy. Mm. And so... Um, and so they're they're determining the gender on the onset, the, to, to, depending on what the environment is. There's some environmental condition. Yeah, being, I don't know. I don't really know why they would choose it. They, hymenopterans, which are an order of insects um, that include bees and ants and everything, they can actually choose whether or not they want a male or female um, based on fertilization. Um, and off the top of my head, I can't remember if it's fertilized as male or fertilized as female. But um, they can basically choose to fer- lay a fertilized egg or unfertilized eggs in order to uh, have them basically hatch. So uh, that choice, I don't know why they would make that choice. Is it is it because there's like more males or females in the environment so say say females are the best to get out there usually to get your genes out there. Yeah. but now there's no males around so now if you lay a male, male that egg. male's going to be a real hot hot commodity yeah. around there so now there's incentive to to lay, lay that the male. then some sort of environmental yeah. trigger I, I don't know if that's something that that uh is has been studied from you know putting in environmental stresses environment. yeah i have not i have not read anything about that but it would be mm-hmm. really interesting to See if that would affect it. Well, that's why I'm here yeah. to teach you guys. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Give us ideas, steal your ideas, and do my research on that. I, uh, <laughs> I so first off, before I have a few more questions, mm-hmm. but you you made all these notes for mm-hmm. me. Look at you getting all prepared <laughs> for this podcast. I don't I don't want to leave here and have you be like I I made three pages of notes on the most interesting things, and I never got to talk about any of this stuff. You got anything over there that you've just been like waiting for the perfect opportunity to tell listeners all about yeah i guess i should talking about what got me interested in spiders it was actually i remember one specific section of my class which was on um social behavior in spiders Mm -hmm. so most spiders are notoriously solitary and um you know hunt by themselves actually usually really aggressive towards other spiders even within within their same species but there are um a few 
species of spiders that are actually cooperative and social and build nests together, essentially. Um, and that's always fascinated me because, like, it's so out of proportion from what other spiders do. Um, it just doesn't make any real sense. And it doesn't also make sense evolutionarily um, because – so there's 23 species that are basically – uh, social, c- completely social. So there's also levels of sociality. There's colonial spiders, which is pretty common. And that's just basically if there's ever an event, I know this happens in Texas sometimes, where there's a lot of insects and they're just everywhere and spiders are hankering to get to the one spot. They will sometimes like merge webs to catch more stuff. There's enough to go around. Yeah, there's enough to go around. They're not hungry, so they're not going to be as aggressive with each other, but they're not working together. Um, social spiders, completely social spiders are working together in order to hunt, to keep the nest up to like upkeep the nest. Um, and they're also cooperating and mating cause it, they're usually inbreeding, which is why it's, uh, social behavior in spiders is, um, not common. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, wait, wait. Did you say the social ones are inbreeding? Yeah. See, that's why there's so cooperation is in game theory. It's like a, a fantastic strategy. However, it's hard to get the transition to get to cooperation. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of huge trade offs that don't make it make sense to ever get there mm-hmm. unless there's a species that gets isolated enough to where it has to resort yeah. to incest and then it has more genes of its own of its in own. the yeah and so in- it's like almost a feedback loop but basically this is why so there's 23 species of the 40,000 species of spiders that are social so it's not common at all and it's evolved basically i think about hold on i have note of that see this is why i have the notes uh it's about evolved 18 or 19 times independently mm-hmm of those 23 species. So it keeps happening, but then nothing comes from it. So they don't speciate from there. So it's basically an evolutionary dead end. Hmm. They become social and it's, it is, it does work for them at the time. So they develop the social behavior because they can get larger prey. Some there's, I know there's uh, reports of them catching like birds and stuff and that they can eat together. But however, part of it is that they're inbreeding and eventually that, um, those genes just become low variability and um, low va- genetic variability, and uh, probably susceptible they're just susceptible to disease to and disease negative and, mutations. And, mm-hmm. and, hmm. Yeah, and environmental pressures too. So I they think that that's basically why they don't speciate, and it's hard too. If you're, how are you going to become a different species if all you're just cycling the same genes with each other? Hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's actually, so from there, there was just one specific genus that of those 28 species, one specific species and genus, um, that fascinated me. And it's, uh, it's a genus called Stegodephus and the entire genus is either social or subsocial. So social spiders are cooperative together. Um, they mate or they, um, feed together, they build nests together, subsocial, uh, basically it's a kind of extended maternal care where the hatchlings basically don't leave the nest for a while. And so that can lead to social evolu- like the evolution of sociality because they're more tolerant of each other. And then why should I leave to mate? Essentially, if I, there's a female right there, I can mate with her. Mm-hmm. And then eventually um, 
it evolves into social behavior. And that genus has three social species. Um, and they all, so the subsocial and social species all show this behavior of uh, matrophagy, which is, well, I'm going to save that for later. So um, their life cycle is basically a female mates with a male. She lays her egg sac. And the minute she lays her egg sac, she starts to dissolve her body on the inside. And she basically dissolves it all except for her heart and her um, her ovaries. And just in case she needs to, something happens to her egg sac and she needs to mate again. Uh, then the hatchlings hatch and she starts to use that dissolved body to feed them. Mm-hmm. And she'll start just basically... Uh, regurgitating food for her hatchlings and feeding them that way. And then eventually, um, during one of the last molts for the spiders, she just gives up her body and lets her lets them eat her alive, essentially. And that's matrophagy. It's, you know, matricide, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but all this entire genus does that, um, including the social species. And in the social species, they actually, only some of the females will mate because they have a female sex bias ratio. So that means there's more females than males. So the males can't mate with all the females. Um, and so there's called what's called like virgin spiders in the colony. And um, the virgins, the weird part is the virgins will still do the same thing. So it's not their kid, it's not their egg sac, but they will also start to dissolve their body, regurgitate food, and basically sacrifice really? themselves. Yep. I, I was blown away by that. Wait, so, and there's no relatedness? They're, they're related. So they're siblings. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah so they're I'm siblings. Sorry, I missed that part. Oh, no, you're fine. Well, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, they're siblings. Um, But the, also the part that doesn't really... So it makes sense if you think, well, there's um, kinship here. I mean, it's altruism. You know, we're working together to get our genes out there in the world. But the weird part is there is no kin recognition in these spiders. So ants, if you bring one ant from one colony to another, they'll destroy that ant because it's not from their colony. If you do the same thing with these spiders, they don't know the difference. Hmm. But the heuristic in that, for that species in that environment is if it's nearby something, it's probably somewhat related to it. Wouldn't you think? Or no? I mean, Yes, but it's not from their colony, and they exclusively mate with their colony. Hmm. So even if they disperse, because nests usually um, colony nests usually die out pretty quickly within a generation, um, dispersal happens only with mated females. So the females will mate with their brothers first before leaving. So they still should be somewhat the colony still related to each other for the most part, um, but they'll still accept any other spider from the same species but, for uh, another colony. Okay, but the, okay, I'm a little confused at yeah. how the virgin is, so, so what are, what's the kind of criteria where the virgin sister will dissolve her own body for, even though she's not pregnant? Basically, all the cooperative ones, um, all the cooperative uh, species have spiders that will not mate in the colony, so there, there's different colonies basically, but they're all staying within each other and they're oh. all mating with each, like themselves. Okay. That's what, um, and so the virgins, their sisters will mate, but they won't. And then they will still take care of the sisters hatchlings though. Even though they don't know 
They can't. The, they have they can, no they way of yeah, knowing. Yeah, no, if it's their siblings. How do they know they don't know? How or I mean, how do researchers? How are researchers determining grab, that they don't know whether it's? So they will literally grab a spider from another colony and place it in the nest of the spider and see what happens, basically. And there's no difference. And they can do the same thing with egg sacs. They'll take an egg sac too from a different co- a colony and bring it to that one, and the spiders will still feed them and give their bodies up, even though they're not from the same uh, colony. Hmm. Okay. But but naturally, that's just not happening. There's not things picking you up and, and moving you, so it's yeah. like kind of a good bet that you are yeah. related to. That's true. That is true. I would think. But that's also what leads it to the that evolutionary dead end, because it's just like, well, you're just basically... You don't even know. You're not doing this altruistically. It's not just to push the genes of your family forward because you can't. You don't even know who your family is. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So I was fascinated, and the answer is well, we don't is really know. Yeah. It's really that's uh, it, it's that's compared to what uh, what all of the other systems that we know a lot better. Yeah. That doesn't fit yeah. very well with a it, lot of models. It really doesn't fit, especially with. I mean, if you look at eusocial species of insects. It does not match their system at all. Hmm. But their system works because social behavior in insects basically is super successful and usually leads led to a bunch of speciation. Spiders, it clearly is not doing anything for them. They basically become social and then eventually that species dies out or the lineage dies out. Okay. Well, speaking of cooperation, before we wrap up, I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. Did he have one in mind? I think I'm just going to have to go at the Humane Society. Might as yeah. well. Humane Society. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. I uh, I foster kittens often and take care of special needs pets. And I'm actually going to be adopting a dog soon awesome. from Wisconsin. You have special needs pets? Yeah. What do you got? Uh, well, my one cat has asthma and two of her lungs are partially collapsed. I mean... That's the thing with both her like, lungs, not just two of her I lungs. Mean, she doesn't have multiple. Super sad and everything, yeah. but there's something about like when you have special needs pets. Mm-hmm. It, it's there's something about it. It's like it only makes them like more adorable. Yeah. For some reason. Oh, so it's that's like so the other one I saved. I saved the uh, more adorable one for last. Uh, Otis is my other cat. So I actually I used to work at a vet clinic as well, and um, somebody abandoned him at our clinic, and he couldn't walk. And the story was basically that her dad tried to kill him and killed the two siblings. And so she just abandoned him with us because she didn't know what to do with it. Um, and so I took him home and he actually eventually learned how to walk. Like he started walking again and he he ha- he waddles now. He essentially has like this little waddle that he does. But 17 weeks in, he just started screaming and I didn't know how to stop it. So I took him to the vet and it turns out he had basically nerve damage from the crushing of his pelvis. Um and he couldn't poop turns out like his poop was just stuck inside of him wow that's not as cute as some other things wait but- <laughs> wait it gets he's really cute so we basically had to cut out his colon yeah so it's not cute because he does poop he, he has control of his bowels but we also had to um amputate his tail because he couldn't feel it and so now he basically just waddles without a tail and it's adorable oh, that is pretty cute. It's I, cute i i once had a dog it was uh it's some sort of shih tzu mix or mm-hmm. something like that. It's already supposed to be small. Yeah. But it had some 
deformity uh, some condition that made it yeah it, it like uh it couldn't process protein or something and so it was the, it was the runt of the litter mm-hmm. and a third of the size that it was supposed to be adorable. adorable yeah i should mention too otis is very happy <laughs> yeah he's not suffering or anything anymore he just poops more frequently but uh no he's a very happy cat and i'm glad to take care of him it's just he has special needs. I do. I do worry that we're are, if we're uh, promoting too much the evolution of. <laughs> well, that's of what they say about like animals because I mean, it is so adorable. It is, and that's like what they like those memes of artificial selection and the pug at the end. It's true. Like we're just creating these uh, this, little creatures. Uh, yeah. That are <laughs> well, pugs are. I mean, it's like really a monstrosity it walking around. It's just they're like cute. Just walking, but they're cute because they're they're dying. Yeah. Constantly from the <laughs> can't day breathe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Honestly, I sometimes think that if we weren't so smart that we could correct certain things or make our lives more comfortable, I would be. I should natural selection should work on me because I can't <laughs> see anything. I have a fear of basically having my glasses broken in the wild and just dying that way because i wouldn't I, I can't survive in the wild well we're starting to domesticate ourselves that's true certainly. yeah we're basically domesticated yeah. at this point yeah i mean yeah. i i feel like my my whole um psychology is that of of kind of a pug sometimes <laughs> i feel i feel like this monstrosity that shouldn't even exist here <laughs> yeah, but. no i think we're all basically at least maybe in the super developed world we're all just pugs and i mean take away our netflix and we die so. <laughs> um uh well it, you have been a wonderful guest if i could before we wrap up i just had one other it's uh not quite related to spiders but this is another fascinating thing that you shared with me a little fun fact about uh novel way to do sutures oh yeah some uh you can basically suture uh, a wound. I don't recommend this, but it has been done that you can use a trap jaw ant essentially to suture a wound. They uh, shut their jaws. Um, they have large jaws that they shut close and clamp really tightly. And at the point where they do that on your skin, you can also just break their head off and it basically makes like a little staple mm. essentially. Do you uh you ever want to like get bit by something just to like oh, feel yeah. what it, it yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I I the only one I really want, I don't want to be stung by anything. I haven't been stung by anything and I still don't want to be stung by anything. But I I do want to get basically um infected with a bot fly. Yeah, we all have our kinks. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I just, I just want to have something growing inside of me for a while. That's not a baby. So, 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 so it's a what fly? It's a bot fly. A bot fly. Yeah. So they don't. How do you spell that? B O T. Oh, bot. bot. Oh, okay. yeah, like okay. a bot fly. Um, they don't specialize on humans. They actually mostly you find them on like uh, cows and horses and stuff. But um, they lay their eggs inside of you, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah. They basically just grow, and and, and uh, it's basically a mistake when they do it to humans. They do it to huh. humans, and humans will get it out eventually. Some people smoke it out, pull it out. But, um, yeah, they grow inside of you, and they use their little anal um, gills to basically they, that poke that, they poke that out of your skin and breathe that way while they're living inside of you. Um, like, uh, um, oh, what's it called? The scuba gear thing. Oh yeah, snorkel. A snorkel. Yeah, yeah it's a little it's snorkel a snorkel. that they yeah. snorkeling in their through their butts. Through their butts. No. 
Fun. Dragonflies, when they're nymphs, so when they're living in the water, they basically propel themselves forward through farts. Because they have, yeah, because they have like that movie. Which movie? (sighs) (laughs) The movie about farting. There is a great movie about farting Farting through things. Um, It's oh, what is it? It's this really crazy movie with uh, what is it that the um, Frodo kid, Elijah Wood. I think it, Elijah Woods in it, and he plays like a corpse and some guy. And some oh no, Daniel Radcliffe! Having, Daniel Radcliffe yeah, is having uh, yeah, 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 that's that one. what it is. And he's I having the like name hallucinations, the or the corpse is farting around through things. Oh yeah, he does move. Like, yeah, the corpse does that. Yeah, weird amount of farting in that yeah. movie. Still well, good. Yeah, that's basically yeah how it happens. That's yeah. what the dragonfly is yeah. doing. They're moving air through their anal gills, so it's basically a fart. Just farting around through existence. Yeah. What Aren't a life. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So you want this thing just growing in you for like what? Until, until it they... starts to bother me, I guess. Yeah. Or you think you're going to like, I mean, I think there's going to be a time when you're going to be like, well, this is starting to bother me. Like, what is the, what's the breaking point that you're <laughs> just until you can't take it? Like, yeah, now it's a real until, distraction yeah, from work and everything. Dis- yeah. So I think for a while, it's like you're getting to show people mm-hmm. you're out at bars. Yeah. Like, Hey, look at this thing growing in me. Yeah. It's great. Right? Small it's like, it hurts a little bit, but I'm keeping it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a point. Probably. It, I don't know. Maybe if it how just, long does this grow in you? For? I actually don't know how long it grows. I mean, it never. I never really fully grows in humans. I haven't heard of a human who's fully grown one. Where um, are you gonna grow it? Like, where, I, well, it where depends do you where want it, it bites me. Yeah, but if you had your choice, oh, had my choice. I don't know. On my arm, so I can see it. Yeah, or somewhere like I can see it. Or something. Yeah, yeah not yeah. like on my back where I can't see it. And what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I knew somebody. Um, a, do you think? Do you think people? You go into like a job interview and you got all these. <laughs> neck bugs grow, growing like, in oh, you by my... choice <laughs> <laughs> you think people are going to discriminate i don't know maybe if it's an entomological job then it'd be a good way okay, to this get person their attention. Likes yeah, they're insects. dedicated yeah okay yeah <laughs> i don't know if i would have multiple i would just want the one okay yeah um <laughs> So they don't actually, eventually everyone gives in and they're I'm like, pretty sure everybody gives in. I've never heard of anyone who doesn't. I mean, maybe if back in the day, if they couldn't get it out or something, hmm. but um, <laughs> yeah, some people like just smoke it out or they'll put, I've heard you can put a piece of meat on it and so they'll, they'll just go into the meat instead. Uh, huh. That's what I've heard. I don't actually know if that one works. I know the smoking it out works um, because if you just kill it and then try to pull it out, sometimes it can get infected and stuff, so... Man, I can't wait for all of my listeners to start putting these things on them. You're, Googling you're, how to do this. They're going to be sending me pictures. Now I've got to feel this. Some, something awful If somebody to out there I'm has really it. encouraged this. I want to hear about it if somebody has yeah. a bot fly. Yeah. They'll send you. Uh, all right, guys. Well, get out there. Get your bot get flies. Your bot flies. <laughs> have, have them infest your body. Send us some pictures. I'd like the picture, like on social media. I'll, I'll give you a like. <laughs> you have a so uh, you got you got like a Twitter or something. I like don't that? have a Twitter. I, I do have an Instagram. Um, okay. It's actually salty salticid, which is a jumping spider. So it's spider based. Can you spell that? Um, salty. It's like a salty okay. food product. And S A L T I C I D. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, follow Melissa Sadir. And thank you for joining me. This is a wonderful conversation. Thanks for the tour. Thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious, soon-to-be-infected people. (laughs) I'll talk with you next week.
Next week on the Here We Are podcast, I'm talking with Jeremy Wolf. I'm here in Boston talking with him about visual perception. How do we see things? What guides our attention, our visual attention? What about blind spots? Things like that. We've, we've had a, a couple episodes in the past related. It's been a while, and it's such a fascinating topic. I, I've actually had... I've had a few guests now on on stand-up science, and uh, you know, obviously, it's a lot of fun when you can see slides and do see like the optical illusions and have all of that explained. But we did a we did a really nice job of of talking about um, some visual science in an all audio format. So really cool conversation. Tune in for that. And since I'm in Boston, I'm doing this Boston Comedy Festival, and I just went to my old home club, and I've just and seeing some old friends and man i've been just feeling very nostalgic um since i've been here i'm around here for a little a little longer than usual i'm usually in about three cities a week but this is kind of around the new england area for a few weeks and so uh this is as as close as i get to uh, setting down roots is a three-week stint in the area and it occurred to me a lot of you guys don't know some of my background i started and i thought it might be fun to explore some of my early start in comedy people ask me about how i got started in comedy and, and how i got into science everything i thought i'd just give you just a little rundown of my early beginning i started in a place called the emerald isle i i had actually i went i first went i did there's this great club in harvard square called the comedy studio it's since relocated i just went to the new location the other day it's fantastic comedy studio has always been the the cool um kind of hip comedy club in boston and it was my kind of most regular club that i performed starting out because i'm cool and hip guys and uh it's a lot of fun if you're ever in the area check it out it's like a showcase show you get a whole variety of comics and uh, and it's cool. So there's like uh, you know veterans and new people and a really good mix. It's encouraged to be a little more experimental and that sort of thing. Um, cool place, smart crowds, um, a little more elevated content and and but uh, so I did my first ever set there. He put me on an off night after I begged for like months over the phone and like went in and watched shows and stuff. And it went okay, considering it was my very first time. It wasn't great, that's for sure. Um, but then he recommended I do a comedy class, and there's this guy, uh, Rich Gustus, who, who um, had been around for a while and was teaching this comedy class, and we got to be friends. He hosted an open mic. It was an awful open mic. It was every Wednesday night at the Emerald Isle, which has since been condemned, um, this is in Dorchester, Massachusetts, uh, an awful area. So this was, um, you know, one, one of the worst bars in, in one of the worst areas of, uh, of the worst city in uh, Massachusetts. And went there every Wednesday night and always had new material. <laughs> uh, it was... So I, I got mugged at gunpoint one time outside of the Emerald Isle, just, just to give you a sense 
Um, it was all just comics. It was a true open mic. A lot of times in open mic, um, you, you sign up or you got to bring like friends or something like that to, um, to get on stage, to like buy, pay for a ticket to get stage time. Um, or there's like a lottery system or something. But this open mic at the Emerald Isle, it started at 8 o'clock. And it was, and anyone that signed up would get on. And comics were, uh, were an art desperate for stage time. And they would all show up. It was all five-minute sets, but the show would go from like 8.15 until like 1.30 in the morning pretty consistently. It was such a long show. There was actually no, there was very, very, very rarely any actual audience members. If, if there were, they didn't last for very long. So the audience was all just other comics, not paying any attention, you know, just comics like hanging out, chatting with one another. Well taking turns like getting on stage to perform to a bunch of other comics not listening and everyone's thinking about their own stuff and it's an open mic so everyone's bad and and uh you know it's brutal i did new material each time which was a, a little bit unique a lot of people are like hashing out their same thing over and over again and so i was able to get a couple people to pay attention sometimes I did a lot of like real shock value material um, back then, and and that's it takes so much to shock comedians. So I I would do things that were just really over the top. So I did that for eight weeks, and then I started. I did uh, so the the graduation show of this eight week class um, that I was taking was at back at the comedy studio. And I, I'd had like one joke do well out of five minutes each of the, each of the eight weeks that I went to this open mic and from the class and everything. And so I went and uh, I, pu- I put together the jokes that had worked well, put it all together in a five minute set and, uh, and crushed. It was a night that had some veterans and some, uh, all of us from the class. So it was a mix of new people and people that knew what they were doing and, had I just had like the set of the night, it was, it was uh, really strong. And then uh, there were some comics like uh, Joe List and some other folks that had been at it for a few years and and were doing pretty well already. And they put in a word for me at other places, like a place that used to exist called the Comedy Connection and stuff. Started doing spots there got moved up to hosting i was really bad at hosting shows because i was awkward and and uh, absurdist like short joke person my acts changed quite a bit over the years but i got moved up to the middle act pretty quickly faster than faster than pretty much any other newcomer around and and so this was 2004 that i started and then i kind of uh, was getting a lot of buzz around the scene and, and getting a lot of work for only having been performing for a couple years. And then in, in 2006, I was accepted into the Boston Comedy Festival. And I got into that and did really well, ended up ended up winning an award. or No, I didn't do that. was later. I ended up uh, winning these contests and getting to the finals of the Boston Comedy Festival and didn't win but uh you know was still in the finals and there's a comic there that saw me 
that had me come to this HBO US comedy or recommended me for this HBO US comedy arts festival that was like at the time it no longer exists but at the time and I did the last year of it but it was for 20 years it had been the biggest comedy festival in the country and and um yeah, I ended up winning an award there for best stand-up comic the year before. Aziz Ansari won that award, and and just to give you a sense of how little I've lived up to any of the the hype that I once had. But uh, and I had a manager and agent and all that all that stuff, and then I got to become a full-time comic, and then a whole bunch of other stuff happened along the way that got me into science communication and and uh, made me kind of care less about traditional stand-up comedy and venture off into other things but those early days were just really exciting and uh, Boston was was my home club and there's always going to be a special place in my heart for Boston and the Boston Comedy Festival and the Comedy Studio Rick Jenkins the owner of the Comedy Studio and so many so many great friends that I that I met there so yeah that's how I started that was 15 and a half years ago. I still count halves like I'm a little kid. So, um, so yeah, a little, little bit about me. Uh, hope that you found that interesting. And uh, those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. Questions.
Podcast Network.